Charisse with the uh, massive pot of French pressed coffee. Actually, it's not that massive because you didn't fill it up all the way. Because you said you didn't want it. But you know someone else is going to drink it. Not necessarily. Who else is coming in? Someone's going to drink coffee if it's there. So this is a thing that came up. Um, Scott was saying that, hey, are there things that we can change to making it up? Immediately draw in new listeners. Because the the intro makes sense if you know us. But if you're the first time listening, you're like, yo, what are these people rambling on about? I only bring this up as like, do you think there is some sort of value add through some sort of like... Yeah, I do. Pull? Like you understand his his concern. Yeah, I do. Yeah. But what do. does that look like? What does the new structure look like? Sharice and I are brainstorming live. Um, why don't we just do like a one minute, like a 30 second... Is 30 seconds too long? Like a 20 second explanation at the start of... It's the same as the outro. Sure, let's do it. On the fly. Sharice just gave me these, this weird, weird look. We used to do it, but I forget what we used to say. I'm pretty sure we said something along the lines of, Making It Up is a weekly podcast focused on culture and news where Eugene comes to the table with one topic and I come to the table with one topic and we pick each other's brains about it. I'm Sharice. I'm Eugene. <laughs> it's the reverse of the ending. I think that it actually makes sense. No, I think it makes sense to include some kind of intro. Scott, if you guys aren't familiar with, he was a guest on a podcast, I want to say four shows ago. I don't know. I think it's valid. Honestly, if you're a first time listener, then you're probably thinking, what are these guys talking about? If you're a first time listener, wouldn't you also need an explanation of Macon? Yeah. We're so bad at marketing ourselves. We are terrible. Someone help. We're Somebody really help. Bad. This is our open Mar plea. Yeah. We're good at marketing other people, but not ourselves. We are. Whatever. I'm, I honestly, it's not, I don't feel that uncomfortable about it. Anyways, next week we'll have something a little bit more formulated. Literally nothing is written down in this week's document. Yeah, I know. I'm going off hit <laughs> on the fly. 48. This is the 48th episode. Hey, you know what? When you get that good, it's all here. I'm going to see if you can hear me tapping my head. If you want to apply some pressure, though, from this week's briefing, around 30 people did click on last week's episode. So there's interest. And someone was listening to us on the way to Calabasas. Yeah, my friend David. He's going to go visit Yeezy. Is that confidential information that we shouldn't be disclosing? Um, I mean, David is a pretty generic name. And Calabasas in this current cultural climate could only mean one thing. So I think it's a moot point of this. Anyways. Did you actually, do you keep up to date with the Kardashians at all? Are you referring to the Jack, like editing tweets thing? Oh, no. Though I did see that. Did you see Kim stepping out in different Yeezy outfits? No. Oh, is it one of those sort of like um, formulated, like, hey, this is like a press yeah. shoot? Well, no, no, no. It's like she's just leaving the house, but it's clearly arranged so that people can see like this is what's coming out in the Yeezy collection mm. upcoming. Got it. Actually looks pretty good. Oh, on that subject, I wanted to mention your outfit. Oh. What are you wearing? What are you wearing, Eugene? I'm wearing some Nike shorts. <laughs> can you describe your Nike shorts? My Nike shorts are from the Ma from the Alex collection. Matthew Williams of Alex. And what's the And there, there's a towel that's draped across the front, kind of like a kilt, but not really. It does kind of look like a kilt. Yeah. It's a Thanks to kilt. the big homie IV from Nike China who sent me this as a birthday gift alongside the React 87s. How are those? God, are those comfortable? Is, 
they don't hug the foot as well as. But you weren't when you left the office yesterday. You hadn't even tied the laces. <laughs> hey, that's style, okay? Anyways, you this, can't not tie the laces and then complain about the, the foot. The, the shit. upper isn't stretchy, like a knitted upper. But it's interesting, Kate. That this is actually an interesting segue because, as you know, last week we were talking shit. I don't want to call it talking shit. We weren't talking shit. We were trying we to- We weren't talking shit. We were holding accountable, as you said. Sure. That's the thing. It's interesting because like that came out. I tweeted about it. I'm like trying to kind of put sense to it, right? Like honestly, these are brands that I, I care about on the basis that they influence my lifestyle. Not necessarily from a fashion perspective, but like sports, all that stuff, all stuff I care about, right? So it was interesting because like, oh, tweet this thing about trying to hold brands accountable. But then is that inconsistent if the next thing you see from me is like, oh, check out the new Nike React 87s. Because I, I think that without people properly seeing the context and understanding it, which I think gets lost on social media. It's like, yo, this guy's like, he doesn't really have as strong a point of view as he says he does. But I want to also make it clear that there's a differentiation between support and accountability. Like you can still support something, but you want to hold them accountable. Yeah. And I also don't think, you know, we weren't talking about something that's like a big deal breaker, you know, like a, um, a misstep like that a we wanted to. Like a factory situation yeah. and 120 people died in like a garment factory fire. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It was, we're discussing the fine points of a yeah. campaign. But it, it, for me personally, as you know, like I try to maintain this super high level of consistency. Mm-hmm. I know. That it, I was thinking to myself, like I was going to post something on Twitter. I'm like, mm. like it kind of feels weird because unless people probably understand, I almost feel as though you want someone to call you out on it. It's a vector for you to discuss. If you want to be totally consistent, even when we're talking about, you know, the React sneakers and the Alex shorts that you're wearing, it's still with thoughtfulness. I mean, you're not the you're type of person- You're trying to make me feel better because it's working. You're not the type of person who's just gonna, you don't just wear a garment for the hype, right? That's my understanding of you. Yeah, generally so, speaking. So long as you treat what you're wearing in the same with the same attitude, I think you're in the clear. Yeah. Uh, I mostly just wanted you to describe your shorts because I think it's funny. I mean, they're pretty technical. If you didn't know they were a quote-unquote collab, they, minus the towel, they'd feel like ACG shorts. Yeah. yeah. They yeah. fit in with your wardrobe. Thank you, because they're black. And no, with the, yeah, the technical aspect as yeah. well, I think. So yeah, the whole topic of what you just mentioned in regards to thoughtfulness, we recently interviewed and working on a story with Brendan from Noah, who used to work at a very high profile streetwear brand. I'll let you guys <laughs> fill in the gaps and Google that if you don't know. Uh, anyways, but any, it's interesting to hear his thought because there's such a definitive disconnection between his persona, what he believes in and the world he came from. And there's a, there's a very high level of thoughtfulness there's, and consideration to what he does. One of the most interesting questions I found that came courtesy of uh, David K. Chang, who's working on it, is he just asked like, what's the consistency inconsistency between you having sort of an underlying societal cultural message around like whether it's consumption and being a fashion brand, mm. right? So I think that's really interesting. Like I always feel as though you want to ask these difficult questions that on the service level seem inconsistent because I think that the 
underlying reason why they've done that is so interesting. Yeah, I'm really making sense of inconsistencies. I think is really interesting. I'm really looking forward to it coming out, especially because you were just you were talking about it yesterday, and you seemed man, you seem genuinely excited. Yeah, it's a long ass interview. Don't get excited by much. It's like an hour and half, hour and forty minute interview. I it's not going to be that long, but it's both text and audio. Oh, great! But you know what? I I have come to the realization like. Been super excited about the making stories you've done. Yes, I wanted to talk about that. Over the actually. course of the last few weeks, it's just like things that I listen to, and I'm like, I can genuinely feel proud of. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I have two stories that I worked on um, getting out the door this week that I'm really happy with. The one that came out on Tuesday about Shauna X and her current show um, at Adu in New York called F Your Manners. And then the one that just went up yesterday, written by Myra Jamshed about the underground music scene in Karachi, Pakistan. I, I think I'm happy with them for some some disparate reasons and then some of the same reasons. And the similarity is getting to feature women that I'm really excited to work with, Shauna and Myra. Uh, Myra's not the focus of the story, but working with her to produce it. And then the other thing is I think just being able to show parts of the world that I believe Macon readers are interested in, but we haven't talked about as much. Shauna does installation and design in a way that I don't think we've really covered. We have done fine art and painting. And then Karachi, you know, we haven't done any stories yeah. there. So it's really great for me. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so this week you and Alex are featured in, I actually haven't listened to the podcast yet, but I did watch yeah. the video um, in episode three of this mixed cloud and share series called Making It. And you guys are talking about the beginning of Macon and the ideas yeah. that went into it. How do you feel about the rollout? It was good. I mean, we don't do a ton of video content, so it's nice to have yeah. that element to it. It's I, When stuff like that comes out about me, I'm not super excited to go and consume it, look at it, right? Is it because it's you though? It's me though. Yeah. I don't I don't get that excited. And I kind of understand when certain celebrities or whatever, like, well, that's kind of weird to say it like that. But, you know, when people that are in the press, like, they get desensitized. They don't read about themselves. They don't care. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The reason why you're doing things is not really because of that. But I think it's good for Macon in general to have you and Alex out there in a visible way. Because we're bad marketers. Well, no, that's not what I was going to say. Because it's good to remind, we put out a lot of great content, lots of good stories that people are reading, but it's also good to remind people of like the root of the company. You know, it's not just like a one, not just understanding us by a story basis, like each story that comes out, but getting behind us yeah. as a company. Yeah, and as- I, I always wanted Macon to be super transparent. There's no point focusing on the end product if you think it was that easy or like you're that lucky. Like there's a lot of things behind the scenes that are happening and everyone's mileage varies, but there's a lot of time spent in building this and a lot of missteps, you know, things that could have happened faster, things that should have been canned earlier. It's so funny because the Mixcloud Sure video, and I haven't listened to the podcast, but I believe in this is, celebratory and you're just out the gate being like, oh, we did all these things we could have done better. Well, I mean, that's always going to be my, my perspective on it. But it's been good reception. Yeah. People have been really psyched to see yeah. your faces. Should we get going? Into your mystery subject? No, you go first. You know my subject. Yeah, let's do it. I decided I wound up sticking with it after 
changing my mind yesterday to talk about Roger Federer. Reportedly, by the way, it's a rumor. It's a rumor? I looked further into it. And the first time I came across this news, I thought it was a 90% confirmed thing. But with further, you know, internet research, it seems not as solid as I'd originally thought. So the rumor is that Federer is moving from Nike to Uniqlo. So what is true is that, Fe- oh, so Roger Federer, do I need to explain this? <laughs> Just me in passing. If you don't follow tennis, you might not know. 36-year-old tennis legend. I don't have his record in front of me, but, you know, just all-time great. Currently ranked world second after Nadal. And previously, I think for a long time, world first. So he has been exclusively sponsored by Nike since 1994. And that deal expired earlier this year, I think in March. So he's in the talks with someone because I don't for a second believe he's not going to sign with a brand, right? Of course. So the rumor is that Uniqlo is going to sign him for $300 million over 10 years. And this is interesting for several reasons. One is that, you know, what is what exactly is Uniqlo thinking behind this? Because Federer is not going to be in the game for another 10 years. Like, that's just the truth of it based off of his age and how the world of tennis is evolving. And then also Uniqlo doesn't do footwear. Does not. So Federer would still have to find another shoe sponsor. And Uniqlo is also not known for technical athletic apparel, despite previously yeah, having signed I think, I think they kind of are. Explain that. What do you think? What do you think heat tech is? That's technical apparel. I think there's definitely a thread that that's woven through Uniqlo. And also look at like their underwear, their socks, like it has cool max. Like I think there's an underlying performance element that isn't the most marketed element, but it exists. But do and you think of it on a federal level? Part of me feels as though when it comes to those performance products, really, what do you need to offer? You just need to offer something that breathes well and sheds sweat. So you're saying that and even to the that actual point, clothing that someone of Federer's level does not really matter. Does not really I don't think it matters that much. I think footwear is way more important. Which is so interesting though, because Uniqlo is not doing footwear. To that point, like a good example, like Adidas Boost, right? Boost wasn't developed by Adidas. It was by a factory and then they've taken it. So likewise, why doesn't Uniqlo go and license a really amazing fabric and that just becomes the element behind the, the piece? What do you think of when you think of Uniqlo potentially signing Federer in, the, in that dynamic? Does your mind go to, oh, this is a good thing for Uniqlo or, or this is a good thing for Federer? Like, do you understand my Federer's question? is getting paid. Uniqlo is creating a little bit more sports relevance. Actually, I also wanted to, I, I was thinking about, you know, what can we talk about on a bigger level? I, I, I do still think this individual news item is interesting, but we do try to talk about news items that are related to bigger things happening, mm-hmm. right? And I thought it'd be a good opportunity to just talk about sponsorship in general. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to think of whether these types of sponsorships exist outside of sports. They've started to, but not to the same degree. Sponsorship can exist in different planes. It's like, oh, it's an event sponsorship, kind of ephemeral. You throw your name on a big sort of poster or a backdrop, lanyard, et cetera. So I th- you kind of see a little bit more where consumer products 
are going down a route. But I think that sponsorship can also just be positioned differently. If Le Creuset, um, a French homeware company, collaborates with a chef, that's technically sponsorship in a different way. It's licensing, right? I thought about that, but I was also wondering if I was thinking about what other industry does it make sense for an exclusive sponsorship to exist? Because I was thinking about, bear with me, makeup artists. Okay. And let's say, do you, you know Mac? Yes. The makeup brand. Yes. Okay. Let's say Mac wants to sign this famous makeup artist. I just don't see that makeup artist being willing to make that move exclusively because it's like part of their artistry, part of that person's craft to try everything, right? And- You would know better than me in this capacity because there's yeah, certain- I was trying, I was trying to think yeah. of, believe me, I try to think of another yeah. metaphor for you. But. but like, let's say you went to Mac and part of sponsorship is also co-developing product together. So what if you go to a Mac and not only can you put your name behind something, you're helping influence the tools that make your life better. So I, I think that in general, like- or what about for us, like we were talking about Sure and Mixcloud. What if we exclusively used Sure equipment? Does that make sense just from an operational perspective? I guess what I was getting at is that for a makeup artist, it would be a limitation on what you are capable, capable of doing. This is, whether it's a popular, unpopular opinion, when it comes to the realm of performance products, I would argue that at this point in time, in many well-developed industries, the difference at the top is marginal. So like you might be quote unquote forced to use Mac products, company of Mac size, it might not be the best, but I don't think it's that much worse than a product that's three times the price. Mm -hmm. And you, I, don't, like, I don't know makeup, but I also think that when it comes to footwear, let's say you're a Nike athlete, is an Adidas basketball shoe that bad? No, see, that's why I felt it's that marginal. for athletes, it works because you, I believe that LeBron, who is with Nike, you know, he gets the best. He gets the best, but I also think he could perform in other stuff. Yeah, like that if he did choose to sign with Adidas or Under Armour, he would still be getting the best. Steph like, I Curry. don't think it would be like, not Theoretically, you difference. could say that since Under Armour doesn't have the same pedigree R&D budget as, as Nike, I mean, Steph Curry is still a high-performing athlete. So the younger me, very heavily influenced by having the best. Older me, realize that sport and equipment is but a small component. Mm. Is there anything you can think of, though, where a professional would not want to be limited by a single company's products? It would have to be very nuanced. Basically, if you become exclusive to this product range, it would need to be that th there, that company wouldn't allow you to do other, utilize other products from other ranges that aren't necessarily in competition for whatever reason, like, oh, I'm developing new product lines or like, hey, I don't, just don't like those guys. I don't, I think it's, it's tough to enforce, to be honest. The only thing I could think of was if you are in a role where being impartial is part of the job. Let's say Nicole, right? She, it would be weird to have a deal where she could only eat at a certain chain of restaurants. Yeah, that's actually a good example. Or a certain group of restaurants because so, it's part of her job description yeah. to be impartial. 
sorry, the background is Nicole runs that food crate. It's like a food blog. I think that makes sense to a degree. I, but I think that it couldn't be to the point where it limits all food. Do you know what I mean? Even, even if you have certain deals, like they don't own you. The sponsor doesn't own you. Like they can't be like, hey, you have to eat three meals a day at, at this restaurant. But it's like, hey, you need to eat and be present for at least five meals a month. Right. And it, I mean, even for big athletes, it doesn't mean, wait, actually does it? Can they wear other brands You've seen on it before. their off? You've seen it before, whether they get in trouble, I'm sure they do. It's not preferable, but you don't own own them. Yeah, but it's just like, okay, if you go to Wimbledon, you got to wear the yeah. Nike outfit. Yeah. I had another question for you. Can you actually think of in your life where a big sponsorship deal made a difference to the way you perceived a brand? Good question. I'm probably a little jaded for that, to be honest. Can you even remember something from, let's say, you know, your childhood or teenage years where there was this really iconic linking of a person and a brand? I think it has to be David Beckham and Adidas for me. That's probably the only one. I think the reason is because I was just so much more impressionable at the time. Like you're 13, 14 years old, right? I was a goalkeeper and I still found something, something about David Beckham just pulled me into that world. I don't know if it was a lifestyle element, I mean, I think a lot of people who don't even care about football can say that about David Beckham. But I think it's disproportionate around females. Like he's not, David Beckham's a good footballer, but- He's a very good looking man. Yeah, I, that's fine. But Sorry, I'm just anyway, saying, Adidas. But I'm just saying that I think that made a big difference for me. Him being good looking? Him being at the crossroads of being decent at football and decent at lifestyle promotion. You can remember- distinctly connecting him to the brand Adidas. Yeah. In a way that affected the way you perceived Adidas? Well, actually, that's a good point because I was always, for the most part, pro Adidas. Actually did make a difference is Nike and um, the Brazilian national team. That actually makes a difference because I think that what Brazil did. Wait, sorry, can you give me context? Because so, I don't know the okay. history of this. At the time, like Brazil obviously wasn't sponsored by Nike and by virtue of Nike being, because I think, I think Brazil left Umbro, right? And joined Nike. While it wasn't necessarily Nike as a whole that kind of like made me change the perception of the brand. What it did do was allow Nike's brand of marketing to do its thing with Brazil. And I think the ensuing content that came from that is actually what really made a big difference. Does that make sense? That is interesting. It's not, it's, it's a very different sort of by proxy way of influence. Is this 1996? See if you can Google the uh, Nike airport commercial. Just can you search Nike uh, Brazil commercial? You turn it. Oh, so you can watch it. Yeah. Oh, like, you can't really see it. That's okay. Like the song, everything. Dude, this ad is so good. Yeah. I can see how this would be very memorable. So I was what, probably 14, 15? Oh, also that guy's like a cameo, Eric Cantona. And I love how they're just wearing these super simple tees. Yeah. That's just like the Nike swoosh and then Brazil underneath. Yeah. No, that's good. And actually, I can also see how, I would do wonder if sponsorship 
the nature of it has changed or if really we should be focusing on smaller brands that are doing sponsorship on smaller levels mm -hmm. because 96 Nike is very different, right? From 2018 Nike, which it's is a little why bit smaller, yeah. it would have been more impactful. Yeah. I think a, a deal like this and an ad like this coming yeah. out. What becomes interesting is that sponsorship in this day and age is so lucrative, but I'm also curious what are the sort of inflationary things around sponsorship now that maybe didn't exist. So for example, Back in the day, you couldn't be like, hey, the whole Brazilian national team has like 100 million followers combined, mm -hmm. right? There's different things now, but it doesn't necessarily mean that all brands have become more successful. But I think the cost of sponsorship influencers has gone up. Definitely. So that to me is like interesting as well to think about. I honestly don't have anything I remember from my childhood or teenage years that had this kind of blasting impact. But also I think it's because your interest didn't really lend itself to something of sponsorship value. True. Right? Like the art world doesn't really have sponsorship per se. Like you don't really have artists that are sponsored by Faber-Castell. Did I say that right? <laughs> yes, you did. Yeah. Um, the notion is funny. I was actually thinking of musicians possibly, but I don't think those really existed back then. Yeah. And even then, like, even if, if this musician is sponsored by Fender, in the grand scheme of things, like you're not gonna go out and buy a Fender if you're not into music yeah. and you're gonna play. But whereas like Nike, you could buy that t-shirt. Yeah. Yeah, that, that Brazil t-shirt. Even if you weren't interested yeah. in, yeah. Yeah, I think the different vectors are really critical. It allows the consumption element to kind of rear itself or develop and it depends. So ultimately, Federer going to Uniqlo, if I was to kind of bring this to a close, yeah. I find it pretty interesting and fascinating. I think it'll bring a lot of visibility to Uniqlo as a semi-credible performance player. Because I think in many ways, like you see that the whole world of athleisure, whatever, being so incredibly important. And I think the GQ article references it as well. It talks about how he's perceived to be a stylish guy. I think to that point, I think that's where the value comes in. Even if he's not playing in five years, there's still residual. Yeah, of course. He's going to be playing in some testimonial match. He'll still be like yeah. out there. And it, it's interesting for me, you know, I asked you earlier that question about does this change your perception of either Uniqlo or Federer or how does the dynamic between them change? Federer is powerful enough that signing Uniqlo elevates Uniqlo and lets people to consider it in a more serious way way beyond being a casual. To the tune of $300 million. Well, if they have it. I mean, over 10 years, that's not that much. It's like 30 million a year. <laughs> to, to Uniqlo. Yeah, it's not that much. To a, you or me. topic this week is Grindr's online publication Into launches a production studio for LGBTQ plus creators. Grindr, if you guys aren't familiar, is a dating app for the LGBTQ plus community. And they previously had a publication called Into that celebrated its one year anniversary. And what they've done to celebrate that is they've created a production studio in West Hollywood for creatives of the LGBTQ plus community to engage in. By virtue of this, what it means is that if you're someone from that 
community, you can use their services free of cost. The way that it's going to play out is that if, let's say, Sharice goes and creates content in the studio, it will be licensed for usage on the Into online publication. And from there, they'll have the rights to sell advertisements against it and monetize it that way. One of the most interesting elements of why this exists is because for some people previously, they weren't provided the right tools or right platform to create the videos they needed to create based on their subject matter. And also just knowing that there is probably a smaller segment of irregular studios budget and interest that would be interested in your subject. In, In recent times, like a lot of people coming to the table that have kind of available quote unquote real estate, right? Space and allowing people to best utilize that to accomplish goals. And I think it's really cool. Um, honestly, Into is not something I check every day or I'm, I don't even know if I've been on on the site. But what I do find interesting is that it's a further sort of indication that you're creating these very narrow channels. They're narrow in a, in a certain sense and maybe more defined is a better way of, of communicating it. So you go in there, you have a space to work out of, you're free of judgment, you can do what you want, create what you want, and you already have a home for it. Like I think that is actually an incredibly, incredibly impactful opportunity because for a lot of creatives, not only is, well, I would say that depending on what your subject matter is, maybe maybe having access to create what you need in the backdrops and the sort of the, the scenery isn't that difficult to, to get your hands on or, or to work out of. But distribution is another big thing, yeah. right? Let's say hypothetically Into becomes the premier, I don't know how it ranks within that whole space of, of publications and media companies, but if it becomes a, a very strong player, and mind you, uh, I don't have the app, so I couldn't tell you if the content is available on the app, but there's so many distribution channels. It's possible. Yeah, like, yeah. and I think that is something that, for better or worse, for the modern day creative, it's very challenging. It's one thing to create amazing content. It's another thing, as we mentioned over the course of this podcast, like distribution and marketing and all that stuff is actually very difficult. Like just because you're a great director or a great photographer doesn't mean you're a great marketer. Yeah. Even though success is predicated on marketing capabilities. And I think especially for this type of content, LGBTQ plus one of the concerns that sparked, I think, into and Grindr making this decision is that social media platforms may sometimes flag this content as inappropriate or like not suitable for everyone or just limited to a smaller audience, right? So there's more, what you were saying in general about, you know, young creatives trying to get their content out there is still true. But I think especially for this sector of people, there's that additional obstacle. Do you think there's any value in the content they're creating being ported to the rest of the world or is it going to always exist in its own channel if you're already building this channel into itself to be self-sufficient? Did you need more context to that? I think what is likely to happen is Into starts giving resources to producing uh, creative content of all kinds and some of it will just be interesting to the Into audience or the Grindr audience but then some of it is going to be appealing to everyone and just because into has facilitated creating more stuff, there naturally is going to be a greater portion of that that gets out to the rest of the world. One thing I've been thinking is that there's there's this there's this notion that you should just create your own worlds, right? If the rest of the world is not allowing you to participate, create your own world. 
Well, there's been a lot of segmentation. Like basically it's, it's in promotion of segmentation. I guess it's an almost evolution of the previous question is that if the ultimate goal, let's just say we all agree that the ultimate goal is equality. What happens when we no longer feel the need to talk about equality in certain spaces because we found self-sufficiency on our own? I think that's dangerous. Yeah. I don't think... I don't like it either, but I just wonder if if yeah, there has I the think, unintended consequence. I mean, I can understand why that exists too. Let's say you are a... You belong to part of a community that you feel in the general... In general society, you're harassed or you are looked down upon in some way. Or you're just not included. Then having a space for yourself is comforting. You know, is welcoming. You want to just stay there, right? And that's important too, that you have comfort and the safety to create what you want and to express yourself how you want. I would hope that that's not the ending place. You don't just stay there. You have to shore it up with your community. You want to have an influence on greater society, right? And that we just have to have people continue to want to do that or else... We'll all just stay in very small bubbles. In what circumstance are bubbles beneficial? I was just going to say to apply it to ourselves more directly. I was thinking about the Asian American experience because because of that piece we published with Shauna and her her exhibition, her show was covered by other media outlets as well. And some of them are specifically, you know, they say outright that we're, for Asian Americans, like we want to promote those voices in particular. The purpose of these spaces is, like I said, so that more, whatever it is, more videos, writing shows can happen by people who feel excluded from general society. But the next step after that is to uh, make that appealing to everyone. Or not make that appealing to everyone, but to share it with everyone in the hopes that it will be appealing. I don't feel comfortable when things are defined in such tangible terms. Like Asian American, that's a very tangible thing. You can picture that, right? I think it's necessary though. But then on the flip side, Macon Macon wasn't doing this story. Do you think that maybe you feel uncomfortable about that because there's nothing about who you are that you feel excluded from? Potentially which actually is a pretty good revelation. I mean, I don't really, I've never really felt like I needed to be part of anything per se in terms of like, and if I wasn't, maybe for a split second, I'd be like, oh, I'll just do it on my own or I'll just figure out something else. So, but I also feel like my, my point I was trying to get to was that looking at that sort of lens, and I'm curious how, how a Sean X story on an Asian American platform would differ from Macon. Like for me, the equalizer across the board for Macon is creative culture that takes f- shape in all f- different forms, shapes and sizes, right? Versus like, hey, you know what? If you're on an Asian American publication, that naturally pushes a conversation in a certain place. And I don't know, there's not really any sort of like sequential order of operations where get your local community of Asian Americans inspired, engaged, which will then give them confidence to go out and do stuff in a bigger picture. I don't know if that's like the kind of general thought process or it's just to build on a very sort of close to home basis, like build community and 
make people feel confident? I think it's more about the community aspect. I don't think a Shauna X story on another platform looks different. Like on an Asian American platform looks different than the way that we shared it. And I also don't think that like an into produced video should look different on its own site vs on it's nice that, you know, I think it can be shared mm -hmm. in the same way. I think the difference is like, let's say all the readers of into talk to each other in the comment section or they have their own Slack or they're on the Twitter feed together, then they have comfort there. And that's like the gathering place. It's the point of connection. I feel like we identify like three really interesting key points and that was the discussion. I think that's a good place to wind things up. Oh, I suddenly remembered halfway through this read. I wanted to try flipping it. You do the first part What's and the then first I part do the again? subscription part. Okay. You do if you're interested in learning more about Macon, visit Macon.com. Yeah. Okay. If you're interested in learning more about Macon, check out our website, Macon.com, M-A-E-K-A-N.com. Or if you just want a very quick snapshot, check us out on Instagram. Hopefully that'll lead you to the site. You can also subscribe to us to wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like this podcast, you can do us a big favor by sharing this episode with a friend. Yours was much better than mine. Um, like that, my part felt very natural and your part felt also very natural. That's good. I was wondering if it was more, 48 episodes in, it finally occurred to me. Maybe we should flip this around. Yeah. I'm Eugene. I'm Sharice. And this is Making It Up.